0: Shalom and welcome back to Tanakhstudy.com and our study of Sefer Tvarim. My name is Benacham Liptag. Today we continue our study of Parshat Ekev. Our last year, six out of six, we will be studying in today's class from chapter 11, verse 13 through verse 25. It divides into two clear sections. Verses 13 through 21 is a famous second parasha of Kriyat Shema, Shemoah. The last section from verses 22 to 25 Will be God's promise that should we keep these commandments in the proper manner, God will assist us in conquering the land, and no one will get in our way. Before we begin our specific study, just a reminder of where we are in Sefer Tvarim. Recall that the main section of Sefer Tvarim will be the main speech that began in chapter five and continues to chapter twenty-six. That speech had three parts. Chapter five was the introduction of how and when these commandments were first given, and then chapters six through eleven which we conclude today, are referred to as the ham section, which we said was the commandment. And the commandment was loving God and fearing God and having the proper attitude in one service of God. That began with the famous Shema Yisrael in chapter 6, verse 4, and the first parsha of Kriyat Shema. And that will end today in the second parsha of Kriyat Shema, which is now in verses 13 through 21. So let's begin with Perek Aleph, Pasuk Gimel, chapter 11, verse 13. And it shall be, should you surely obey and listen to my commandments, that I am commanding you today, To love Hashem your God, and to serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. As this parsha forms the closing bookend of the Hamitzvah section, I'd like to suggest the reason why it begins with Recall our main theme in our study of Sefer Devarim has been that these laws form an application of the key commitment that we made at Mount Sinai. And that commitment began in the covenant in chapter 19 in Sefer Shmot, where God made a proposition to Am Yisrael after arriving at Har Sinai. That was chapter 19, verse 5 in Shemot. If indeed you are willing to obey me and keep my covenant, followed by the attempt to live as the key proposition began with that phrase im shemo tishmu it should not surprise us that this final parshia begins with a parallel phrase im shemo tishmu And now we will see what is the main commandment. As this is the end of the hamitzvah section, what is it? To love Hashem your God and to serve Him with all your heart and all your soul. In Chazau, in our rabbinic tradition, we learn from this verse a very interesting insight in regard to prayer, in regard to tefillah. This verse does not define our obligation to pray, but rather it defines the meaning of what it means to serve God with your heart. I want to share with you the Rambam, Maimonides, in his laws of tefillah, the opening halacha, halacha aleph, in the first chapter. He says as follows, Mitzvat pala b'choyom There's a biblical obligation to pray every day. If there's a biblical obligation, it has to be based in a verse. And what verse does he quote? The verse that he quotes is from Sefer Shemot, chapter 23, verse 25. You must serve Hashem, your God. And that is written in imperative form. And hence, it's considered a command according to the Rambam. But it doesn't explain how we serve God. Therefore, the Rambam continues and requires a definition, what is the meaning of avodah? He continues and says, We have a tradition, the Rambam says, that when it says avodah in this verse, it's referring to prayer. Now, what is that shmua? What is that based on? Then the Rambam quotes the verse that we just read, that what do we need to do? We need to serve Hashem with all our heart. How does one serve God with your heart? The Rambam understands that is considered tefillah. According to this Rambam, this verse does not explain our obligation to pray. Rather, it defines what prayer is all about. As many commentators point out, there are other verses in the Torah that say a very similar idea, where we have the commandment to serve God. For example, we read in chapter 10, verse 20, The Rambam could have quoted that verse. And several others in Sefer Devarim. However, the verse in Sefer Shmot is the first time. But there's something else if you look in Sefer Shmot, chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-five. If you look carefully at what follows that commandment, we will find all the different things that people classically pray for. Again, there in Sefer Shmot, chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-five, it says, "Bavadatem et Adonai et lachmacha He will bless your food sources and your water and he will take away any illness from your midst. And then he continues in verse 26, The women will not be barren, implying there will be a blessing of having children. You'll live a full life. You'll live for many years. I will send my fear in front of you, and that will help you defeat all your enemies. So we see that following this commandment in Sefer Shemot, that we are commanded to serve God, that commandment is followed by all the classic things that people pray for, that is for financial prosperity, for good health, for long life, and for victory over their enemies, or what we would call nowadays, hoping for peace. So that may be an additional reason why the Rambam brings his proof from chapter 23 in Sefer Shemot. We continue now in verse 14 in Pasuk Makosh, And I will give the rain in your land at the right time. The Yoreh and the Malkosh. The Yoreh is a nickname for the early rains in the beginning of the season. Malkosh is the name of the very last rain at the end of the rainy season. Followed by de Ganecha the V'itzarecha. Then you shall gather your new grain and your wine and your oil. Implying that if it rains at the right time, your grain and your fruit crops will be successful and you can harvest them at the proper time. Moshe continues in verse 15, Pasuk and I will also provide grass for your animals to graze, and then you shall eat and be satisfied. Ibn Ezra points out that Ba'achata Basavata is not the conclusion of verse 15. Chumash does not mean that God will give grass in the field for your animals, and you will eat that grass, but rather it's referring to the grain, the wine and the oil that was mentioned in verse 14. Rashi claims it's an additional blessing that not only your crops will grow, but when you eat those crops, and when you eat the grain and the wine and the oil, it will digest properly in your system. Ramban quotes both of those opinions, and then argues it may be referring to everything in the last two verses, including the animals and the grain and the wine and the oil, implying that when there's a lot of grass for your cattle to graze on, you will also be able to eat the sheep and the cattle, and that will also make you satiated. Let's continue now with Pasik Tetzayin verse 16. <laughs> Be very careful, lest your hearts be lured away. And you may go astray and serve other gods and bow down to them. What is Chumash worried about when the nation will enter the land of Israel and they'll need rain for their survival? In Canaanite culture, there was a rain god. His name was Baal. There's also a fertility god. Her name was Asherah. And when the farmer needs rain and needs fertility, you turn to the local gods. That's what normal people would do. Humish is coming with a revolutionary idea, which began back in chapter 1 of Rishit, with the concept of what appears to be many gods, or the various powers of nature, is really all one god. The idea that your reign will not be a function of sacrifice or any type of ritual to some local rain god, but rather it's a function of the commandments you keep in your dedication to God and the society that you build as a nation, that is a concept that is very difficult to teach. And therefore, it needs to be emphasized over and over again, especially now in Sefer Devarim. As Hashem continues to explain in Pasuk Zayin, in verse 17, V'chara af Adonai b'chem, Av'shem's anger will be kindled against you, V'atzara and he will stop the heavens, and there will not be rain. V'hadama lo and the land will not yield its produce. V'avaretem mehira, me'al ha'aretz asher Adonai noten l'chem and you will soon perish from this good land that Hashem is giving to you. This opens the entire discussion of the educational value of reward and punishment. Recall the two parashot of Kriyat Shema, the one that began in chapter 6, with the original Shema Yisrael, Hashem that was about serving God because it's the right thing to do. There was no promise of reward or punishment. Do it because it's proper, because He's your boss and you are in His service. Here in the second parsha of Kriyat Shema, which closes this entire section, we find the emphasis on reward and punishment. The advantage of reward and punishment is that it can motivate people to keep the laws. Are people good citizens because it's the right thing to do? Are people good citizens because they're afraid of punishment or they're looking for reward? For sure, the ideal motivation should be doing it because it's the right thing to do, as the first Parsha of Kriyachma emphasizes. But practically speaking, as we all know from parenting and education, the reward and punishment system seems to work a lot better. But then comes the inherent danger in the reward and punishment system. Because the second everything is based on reward and punishment, then the person's motivation in serving God may not be to do the right thing, either out of fear of punishment or in the hope of reward. So in this Hamitzvah section of Sefer Tvarim, there's an attempt to find a balance between these conflicting educational approaches. And the hope is the first parsha of Kriyat Shema should be enough. But in reality, we also need the second parsha of Kriyat Shema. This can help us appreciate why we include both parashyot of kriyat shema every day when we pledge allegiance to God when we say the shema as the understanding of this section should motivate us to lead a life of dedication to God and good behavior it makes sense why we have to say this every morning as spiritual breakfast to ready ourselves for a day in the service of God. One final point in regard to the word matar which is any type of precipitation, here we see that matar is the key tool that God uses either to reward us or to punish us. But the very first time we have Matar and Chumash is in the beginning of the Ganeid story, where Chumash tells us in chapter two, verse five in Bereshit, no vegetation was growing yet in the land, for two reasons. For one reason, God had not yet brought rain onto the land, and there's no man to work the field. Now, we all know very well that vegetation grows without men. Even without men, grass and trees and forests develop very nicely. Rashi makes a beautiful comment on that verse, saying, What was missing? We needed rain for things to grow, and we needed man to pray for rain. What Rashi is alluding to may not be the simple meaning of the verse in chapter 2 in Brashid, but it definitely relates to one of the underlying themes of Hamash that the understanding that God's providence over nature and the way he continues his relationship with mankind is a function of the deeds of man, This concept, which is one of the core understandings behind tefillah, behind prayer, and one of the key motivations for developing a just society, emerges as not only a key theme in Sefer Devarim, but according to Rashi, it is already alluded to in the opening story of Ganeda. Because it's very easy to go astray and forget these concepts, in the next three verses, we talk about different signs and reminders that we need to make sure we remember these principles. Pasek <speaking in Hebrew> Yod verse 18, <speaking in Hebrew> Therefore, impress these words of mine onto your heart and onto your soul, <speaking in Hebrew> and tie them for a sign on your arms, <speaking in Hebrew> and they should be for tootafot between your eyes. As we mentioned before, it's very hard to understand exactly what this means at the simple meaning of the verse, but we have our rabbinic tradition that this is referring to the tefillin, the tefillin shayad and the tefillin rosh, which are reminders, on the one hand, of how we have to be in the service of God near our heart, and also between our eyes or on our forehead, which is how we're viewed by other people. Then we continue in Pasuk Yotet, verse 19, ולימדתם otam et בניכם la בן, you must teach them to your children in order that they should talk about them. And you must talk about these laws and study them when you are sitting at home, when you are walking on the road or on a journey, and when you lie down and when you get up. And finally, you should inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, better known as the Law of Mezuzah. Then, in the final line of the section, Pasach verse 21, In order that your days and the days of your children will endure for many years on this land that Hashem has sworn to your forefathers to give to them, just as the days of the heaven on the earth. This verse, of course, again resonates from the reward promised after the fifth commandment of honoring your parents. The idea being that if the nation keeps these laws and passes it down to their children and continues this tradition, then we as a nation will remain in the land for a long time. And if we do not do that, as was noted earlier in verse 17, the land will kick us out and we as a nation will need to go into exile. We should note that in Sefer Devarim, all the reward and punishment is presented on the national level. Everything we read about in today's share about God promising rain at the right time and threatening drought and exile, should we not obey his laws? That is referring to our national behavior and not necessarily to individual behavior. That does not imply that we do not have reward and punishment for the individual, but rather the focus of Sefer Devarim is a nation in the service of God, and therefore the reward and punishment that Sefer Devarim talks about is at the national level. And that is why almost all the commentators understand L'man Yerbu Mechem in order that you live for a long time on the land, is not referring to individual life, but rather to the life of the nation. And living for a long time on the land is in contrast to going into exile. In regard to reward and punishment at the individual level, that's a much more complicated topic, which we find much less focus on in the Torah, because again, the Torah is talking about the relationship between God and a nation. We as individuals, as part of that nation, must be aware of that reward and punishment on the national level, and that makes us responsible not only for our own deeds, but also for the deeds of others, and we have to be involved in society. This relates to the concept of Kol Yisrael that all of Israel are responsible for one another. But again, the specific topic of reward and punishment for the individual is beyond the scope of today's shiur. Now in the final section, we have our proof that we mentioned before that this is the conclusion of the hamitzvah section. So let's read Pasach Abed, verse 22 very carefully. Because then, if you faithfully keep all this Hamitzvah, this commandment, that I'm commanding you to do, to love Hashem your God, to walk in His ways and to cling to Him. This is a key review of the key concepts of this entire Hamitzvah section. The love of God, walking in His ways, which we explained was emulating God and doing justice and righteousness in your day-to-day life, and clinging to God, which I think refers to identifying with this responsibility. Then what does God promise in Pasach Hab-Gemo? Then Hashem will help you conquer all these nations from in front of you, and you will possess other nations who are greater and more mighty than you are. As we've explained many times, God promises to help us conquer the land, but only on the condition that we are eager and committed to keeping His mitzvot, to keeping His commandments. Especially our attitude is key, as was summarized in verse 22. To prove that this concludes the Hamitzvah section, we'll explain in our share next week in Parashat Re'eh, because in chapter 12, which is coming up very soon, it begins with, E'la And then from the beginning of chapter 12, and onward till chapter 26, we find primarily practical laws of our day to day life as a nation in the land of Israel, referred to as Chukim and Mishpatim. But at this point in Sefer Devarim, we have concluded the Hamisra section, which focused primarily on one's attitude in his relationship with God. The next two lines will form the introduction to the book of Yeshua, and we will now explain why. Pasach Abdallah verse 24 any place that the hill of your foot will tread upon will be for you. From the wilderness all the way up to the Lebanon and from the Euphrates River all the way down to the Western Sea most likely referring to the Mediterranean Sea that will be your border. Notice here again that the borders that Moshe Rabbeinu is describing reflect the borders of B'rit B'raptarim the covenant of the parts As that is the first time, God promised not only the land to Avram's offspring, but also that he will help him in conquering the land. And even though first, the nation must conquer Erd's Canaan, which are the smaller borders, that's from Dan to Beersheba and from the Jordan to the Mediterranean, once that land is captured, then the nation can expand their borders to the south, down to the Midbar, and to the north into Lebanon, and to the east, all the way up, but not including Mesopotamia, and the area around the Euphrates River. We should also explain why Yamaharon is considered the Mediterranean Sea. In directions in the Bible, Kadima, or forward, is always to the east, where the sun rises. Yamina or Temana, is south, because when you're facing Kadima, when you're facing to the east, to your right is south, and therefore Smola, left, is always north. And if Kadima is east, or forward, then Ahora or backward, is going to be west. Therefore, when the Torah says Yamaharon, doesn't mean the last sea, but means the sea to the west, which of course, in relation to the land of Canaan, must be the Mediterranean. So the Midbar seems to be the southern border, most likely referring to the Negev. Lebanon would be the northern border, as Lebanon is to the north of Israel. The Euphrates River, or Mesopotamia, will be our eastern border, and the Mediterranean Sea will be our western border. But if you read this verse carefully, God is not saying that He will do this for you. Rather, wherever you go, God says, I'll be there to help you. This understanding will be very key to appreciate what happens in the book of Yeshua. Let's continue now with verse 25. No man or enemy will stand up to you or be successful in battle against you. And Hashem, your God, will put dread and fear on all the land wherever you walk, just as God had promised to you. What God is promising is that wherever we go and attempt to conquer the land, God will be with us, and no enemy will be successful against us on the condition that we keep His commandments. As we explained many times before, because God's primary goal is not simply the conquest of the land, but setting up a nation in the service of God in that land. Therefore, it's logical that God would help us if we're committed to keeping His commandments. It's also logical that He would not help us if we don't keep those commandments. With these verses in mind, I would like you to take a look at the opening verses of the book of Yeshua. In the opening lines of that book, in God's opening commandment to Yahshua, the new leader of the people, we find almost the exact same verses. God tells Yeshua in chapter 1, verse 2, Moshe Avdimet, Moshe, my servant, has died. Now you get up and cross this Jordan River. You and the whole nation to the land that I'm giving to the children of Israel. Listen carefully now in Paseg verse 3. Anywhere where your foot treads, I'm giving it to you. As I told Moshe, referring exactly to these verses in Saffron Devarim. Then, We have the exact same borders as mentioned here. And then God continues in verse 5 in chapter 1 in Yeshua. No one will stand up against you all the days of your life. And he continues with chazak ve'amatz. Be courageous and be strong. Then two verses later in verse 8, God explains to Yeshua. This Sefer Torah, in simple shot, referring to the laws of Sefer Dvarim, as we explained earlier, These laws of the Sefer Torah should not leave your mouth. You should immerse yourself in these laws day and night. In order that you are able to keep and do everything that is written in it. Because only then you will be successful in your ways, and only then will you prosper. So there's no doubt that these final verses of the Hamitzvah section where God is emphasizing with the right attitude and commitment, I will help you conquer the land, is key to understanding the book of Yeshua. But God is not telling Joshua that he's going to conquer the land for him. He's explaining, I will conquer the land with you. And therefore, if Yeshua does not take an initiative, if our feet do not walk into the land, meaning if we do not begin the battles and take initiative to conquer the land, nothing will happen. What God emphasizes here is that wherever you go, I'll be there with you. Again, on the condition that you keep my mitzvot. When one studies the book of Yeshua, you will see that the main point of the book is to prove to the people that God did keep this promise, that whenever you took initiative, God was there to help you. On the other hand, there was much land that was not conquered, and that the book of Yeshua explains that was because you did not take initiative. The prophetic goal of the book of Yeshua is not to explain how the land was captured, but to prove to the people that God kept his promise. Everything that God promised came true. What was God's promise? Wherever you go, I will be there to help you. And therefore, the book goes through battle by battle where Amistro took initiative. And after we took an initiative, God was there to help us. However, any place that we did not take initiative and did not conquer was not conquered. And when there was an incident when we were not following God's laws, like in the story of Achan, God did not help us there as well. To support this approach, it's worthwhile to look at chapter 23 in the book of Yeshua, where before he dies, he gives his goodbye speech telling them first there's still a lot of land to capture, reminding them how much God has helped them up until now, and God will continue to help them, should they take initiative, again on the condition that they keep the laws. Look in chapter 23, verse 6, Make sure to be very strong, to keep and to do all that is written in the Sefer of Torah Moshe, not to stray right or left. These are all key themes from the book of Zavarim. And because, as we'll see in the Chukim and Mishpatim section coming up, there are numerous laws that Am Yisrael must keep to establish themselves as God's nation in the land of Israel. Not just laws about how to conquer the land and who goes to war and when you go to war, also about establishing a judicial system, especially about establishing a central place of worship, Ha-Makom Hashem, laws about our economic system, laws about cities of refuge, etc., Therefore, the, specifically the book of Devarim will be the guide that Yeshua has to follow and keep in order to fulfill its goal of setting up this nation in the land of Israel. Then he reminds him again against following other gods. And then finally, he tells them in verse 14, again, chapter 23, verse 14, He's telling them, I'm He's telling them, I'm about to die. You should know with all your heart and all your soul. Again, a phrase from Sefer Yeshua emphasizes. Yoshua emphasizes to them in his final speech that you should know and understand that not one thing from all the good things that God promised, everything came true, not one thing fell short. How could that be if there's a lot of land that's still left to capture? Well, if you look carefully, what did God promise? God did not promise that he will conquer the land for them. He promised that he would conquer the land with them. And therefore, Yeshua is telling the people that God kept everything he promised. He promised to help us on the condition we keep his mitzvot. And every time we kept his mitzvot and we took initiative, God helped us. But wherever we did not take initiative, any area that we did not attempt to conquer, that remained unsettled. In regard to taking initiative, Yeshua sends spies to begin his conquest of the land. God does a miracle for him, and they split the Jordan River. And then God helps them also conquer the city of Jericho in a miraculous manner. When the people sin with Achan, God does not help them in the first battle against the Ai. On the second battle against the Ai, after they've repented, God does help them with military strategy. Later in the War of the Five Kings, Yeshua takes initiative, takes up his entire army to engage the five kings before they attack the Givonim, and God helps them with the famous miracle of Shemesh Dom, of the sun staying up for more than a day, giving Yeshua time to pursue his enemies before they get back to their homes. So again, as we study these final verses in Parshat Ekev, it's a wonderful opportunity to appreciate the key prophetic point of the Book of Yeshua. In next week's Sure, as we begin Parshat Re'eh, we will see the transition from the Hamitzvah section to the Chukim and Mishpatim, that will begin with a special ceremony that begins in Harival. We will begin that study next week. In the meantime, everyone should have a Shabbat Shalom.